Thank you. Is there anyone who's got any questions before we start? No. So um, there is a message from Swamiji about this coronavirus. I can read it to everyone. If, if you wish. Shall I read it to everyone? Yeah. Yeah, I think it'd be good. I'm mute everyone now. Okay. Okay. Bella, you can hear me? Okay. So this is a message from Swami Patasati. The current situation on coronavirus is nothing new. We have gone through the periodic threats of warfare, bird flu, swine flu, mad cow, SARS and now it's coronavirus. It all boils down to a threat to our lives. Every living being born must die. Nobody knows and will ever know when and how death will occur. Yet everyone expects to live indefinitely. One bothers about it when one is not prepared for it. Throughout the world, none is prepared and they suffer. One can sit in a balcony and worry if the ceiling would come down. One can drive in a car and worry about a fatal accident. One can fly in an aircraft and worry about a crash. Where is the end? All that we need to do is be prepared for the eventuality, whatever it be. Expecting the eventuality is pessimism, but being prepared for it is philosophical. The only consoling factor is that everyone is governed by the law of karma. The law of karma is based on cause and effect. What we sow, we reap. So our concern should be on sowing the right seeds rather than worrying about the crop. Throughout the world, Millions upon millions of innocent animals are slaughtered every day. Millions upon millions of living worms are immersed in boiling water to produce silk. How many of us are concerned about that? None thinks and is least concerned about it. Yet coronavirus bothers you because it affects you. That I may die. That is probably one chance in a million against millions actually. However, it should not bother any person who understands and follows the law of karma, that every effect has a cause. Selfishness has brought about these challenges in life. Those that have been directly or indirectly the cause for mass destruction 
suffer. Others free from it understand that these threats are only a part of life. The threat is directed to those that violate the law of karma, none else. Iniquity there shall be in this world. Woe unto you if you be the cause. Coronavirus, like other warnings, will come and go as long as people continue to be merciless in the destruction of helpless living creatures. It is difficult to understand the impact of the, of the above statement. You need to be educated. Professors of universities, judges of the court, doctors and lawyers, businessmen and peasants, everybody is unaware of the stringent law. They need to understand this basic principle of life. If you violate it, you meet the consequences. The governments of different countries are doing their best, but none of them are aware of the cause. It is the cause, it is the cause that has to be attended to. But the general tendency is to threat the effect and not deal with the cause. For example, the emphasis is on removing dirt rather than being conscious of cleanliness. However, the virus has spread and we need to strictly follow the recommendations of the government. Above all, we need to start learning. One could gain the knowledge. It is not simple. It is not difficult. It is a question of one's application. You gain this knowledge, you understand the role of coronavirus in our lives. Did everyone hear that? Yeah. Did it make sense? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Any questions? Think no, about. not at this uh, point. Uh, if you want, I can forward it by WhatsApp, that message, so you can read it in your own time. Thank okay, you. Thank you. Yeah, I'll put it on the Sunday group after class. Thank you. So, um, I'm going to mute all everyone and we'll start the class now. Okay. So, recap. Um, we're on chapter six. Strength of emotion. I'm not sure what page number that is in your books, but it's strength of emotion. And we have covered up to effects of manifestation. We're going to start with there. So I know it's been some time since last class. So I'll just quickly go over um, a quick recap. Um, strength of emotion talks about different emotions that we manifest as human beings. And we covered a few in the last few classes. Um, one of them was love. What is true love? So we said that true love is the feeling of oneness with all beings, all animals, the whole world, the entire universe. Love is nothing but identification. When love is polluted with selfishness, it is attachment and not love. Love plus selfishness equals attachment. Attachment minus selfishness equals love. Then we talked about kindness. What is kindness? 
Just the act of kindness is all one needs. It's what makes us different from animals, more higher, supreme. Kindness is like the fragrance of the rose. You can't be spiritual without this quality. It is a feeling from within. It is internal, an attitude, not just an external act. Then we talked about pity. You should not suffer from, weak, from a weak pity. Pity is an impulse feeling, a surface emotion, human weakness. Remember the law of cause and effect. What you sow, you reap. How it will manifest, we don't know. When something bad happens to a person, you know he deserves it, but you don't show weak pity. Neither do you say you deserve it. Charity. So what can you give? Money, service, feelings, emotions, knowledge. There's so many ways you can give. How do you decide what to give? You evaluate the person's needs and then give. So if you perform charity, the effect is that you, the giver, also prosper and the person receiving also prospers. So in charity, both of you prosper, not just the person you give to. As Victor Hugo said in La Miserable, remember, life is to give, not to take. Any questions from anyone? That was just a quick recap of the um, emotions that we covered previously. Okay, if no questions, then we'll start, um, start from effects of manifestation. Okay. So I'll stop after every couple of paragraphs to see if anybody has a question. I think there's also a way of you sending me a message if you if you have a question as well, but I'm not sure how that works. I'll just stop off every couple of paragraphs. Yeah. So everyone's got their book. Sittle's going to read the um, paragraph um, and then we'll talk about it. So, so if you could read um, the first paragraph. Feeling directed to a high ideal is noble. Your attitude to serve and sacrifice is indeed commendable. They are fine emotions which embellish your personality. Nevertheless, the devil cautions you against the adverse effects of manifesting them indiscriminately. However, chase an emotion be, it would be unwise to express it without intellectual direction. An unintelligent manifestation of even a good emotion may bring about a negative result. For example, you may love all creatures alike, appreciate and admire their individual beauty and grandeur, yet you cannot express your feelings for them in the same way. You may pick a kitten and caress it, but you would not do that to a serpent. Thank you. So this paragraph, what it's saying is that the effects of emotions, you should be careful when you express emotions. 
you may now, after coming to a few classes, learnt about developing universal love. We can't express it unintelligently without thinking about it. I love all animals. That doesn't mean you start stroking a lion. Yeah. So you can have that feeling of emotion, but you have to be careful how you manifest it. A mother and a child. You can't get too much emotions. You molly cuddle the child, the child cannot handle it. And at 18, he or she leaves home because it's too much for the child. So you have to control the emotion. Parents give emotions to their children indiscriminately, without thinking. Children become spoiled. It is detrimental to them in the long run. You're doing them more harm. They leave the home. Too much emotions. It could be love or anger. Any emotion. You have to be careful how much emotion you give. It could be detrimental to both you and the person. Did everyone understand that? Yes. yes. Okay. Any questions on that? No. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to, basically what he's saying is you have to be careful how you manifest your emotions. We're going to talk more in detail of how to control it. You may love your spouse dearly, but you cannot afford to express your emotion indiscriminately at all times. If you do so, it will cause nausea to the other. The relationship may end in bitterness, perhaps a separation. A parable explains the effect of unwise expression of emotion. A serpent lived in the outskirts of a village. It was a menace to the villagers. It attacked and poisoned many of them. One day, a sage passed that way. The serpent charged out of its hideout. It was about to strike. The sage stood unperturbed. The assailant recognized the divine person and begged his pardon. The good man advised it not to be hateful and cruel and create so much disharmony, the serpent repented its aggression and vowed to live peacefully. Days later, the sage was returned to the same way and found the creature lacerated with wounds. He inquired as to the cause of its pathetic state. The serpent replied ungrudgingly, sir, I merely followed your wise counsel, expressed my love to one and all. The villagers pelted me with stones and brought me to this condition. The wise man rejoined, I am sorry I have not conveyed my message properly. I did ask you to live in harmony with others, but not to express your love indiscriminately. Without a feeling of hatred, you should have hissed and driven them away. So it is with love. You must learn to manifest your inner feelings with discretion, with caution. Your intellect must ever be alert to direct your emotions into proper channels. That is intelligent living. So what we're saying is 
Emotions, when you express, you must understand that your partner may not be able to handle it. You can't express the emotion indiscriminately. Every day you say, I love you. You know how much I love you? Do you know? Tell me how much, you, how much I love you. You keep saying that, a person becomes, can't handle it. It's too much. It's difficult to give emotions, but it's more difficult to receive it. People want to cash it, use it for their own benefit. Hence, you have to be careful. Unintelligent expressions of emotions destroys relationships. So the snake in the, para in the parable, the wise sage told him that, you know, why are you behaving in this way? You should have, you should, you should have universal love. So the, the snake started, whoever came, he never did anything. He never hissed, he didn't, do, he didn't uh, tell them to go away. And people started pelting with stones. So you cannot practice universal love in that way. Otherwise people take advantage of it. So be careful the emotions you give. We are talking about unintelligent, meaning without thinking about it. Let your intellect think about it before giving out the emotions. Guide your emotions with your intellect. Don't become emotional. That is when you have no control over your actions, and that could be detrimental. See, when you have uncontrolled emotions, anything can happen. You can end up doing anything, saying anything that you regret later. You lose control. This is the problem. Everyone understand that? Yeah. Any questions? Can everyone hear Sittal um, reading the text? Yes. Yes. Okay. So emotions, just need to keep them in control. You know, people even commit uh, murder because of uncontrolled emotions. Go into a rage, kill their partner. You've, 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 you've read about many cases where people lose control. These are uncontrolled emotions. So we have to keep them under control. And to do that, we need to develop our intellect, which then keeps those emotions in control. Emotions come from the mind. That's the child. The intellect is the adult. So the adult has to keep the emotions under control. Use your emotions in a positive way. This is what it means. Any questions? Okay. So I will continue with the next topic, which is root of emotion. An emotion springs from a flow of thoughts. The thoughts flow towards the world constantly. The thought flow arises from a sense of unfulfillment, incompleteness, imperfection felt within you. This notion of a lunar, of a lacuna, lacuna, void is caused by the ignorance of yourself. 
your real self within is supreme, absolute. The rare one realizes the self, attains the state of absolute fulfillment. But humanity everywhere is ignorant of the self. Hence, every human feels a void within. The void causes thoughts to run into the world for fulfillment, just as they run towards food when the stomach is empty. Thus, your thoughts constantly reach out into the world for fulfilling a sense of a full, fulfill, unfulfillment, completing an incompleteness, perfecting an imperfection felt within. The stream of thoughts flowing from you to the objects of the world is known as desire, karma. Desire, therefore, is caused by ignorance of your supreme self. The enlightened, who has gained the knowledge of self, alone is free from desire. Until you reach the state of self-realization, you would entertain desires, and desires go through several modifications. So, um, desires, where do they come from? Why are they there? We all know the formula vasanas. You're born with vasanas which then manifests as thoughts, which then manifests as desires, and then you act on those desires. So this paragraph talks about desires and why and how they come about in a person. So whenever there's a void, it wants to be fulfilled. Yeah? Example, your stomach. If it's empty, your thoughts go to food. Once the stomach is full, your thoughts towards food stops. In some cases, in some cases it carries on thinking, but in most cases, that void is full, you stop thinking about food. So similarly, we have an imaginary void within. And because of this void, our thoughts go towards the world to fill the void. And these thoughts, are in the form of desires. What are our desires? Name, fame, power, money. Doesn't matter how gross or subtle, it still desires. And we think by fulfilling that desire, we'll be happy. First, we run after money then we're not saying it's right or wrong yet. We're just analyzing, yeah? Then when we get enough, it doesn't give you the same kick. Why? Because you get neutralized to it. You've got everything you want, you've been everywhere, and now it doesn't give you the same pleasure. So now what, what's next? Name, I want to be famous. Then when you get to that stage, you're famous, it doesn't give you the kick anymore. Next, you want power. The others don't satisfy you anymore. So these desires arise because you don't realize that you're already full. Puripurna means complete. Why are you already full? Because you are the Atman, the self. That's just the nature of the self. But it's the ignorance of this fact 
ignorance of the self that creates these desires that go into the world. You see that void, you think you're full, you will fill it by fulfilling your desire. We don't know that we are the self. We don't know we are the God principle. That's why we get involved in the world. But what we don't realize that no matter how many desires you fulfill, how big a name you get, how famous you become, how powerful you become, that void will not get fulfilled. You'll never be satisfied. And that's a fact. You try it. Just as when your stomach is empty and you're hungry, nothing can fulfill that void except for food. Even if, even if, I give, even if you get, someone gives you a thousand pounds, unless you buy food with it, it cannot fill that void. Only food can fill that void. Similarly, no matter how famous, name, money, you cannot fill that void because those, those things cannot fill this void of your true identity. What will fill that void is knowledge of your true self. Nothing else. So as you gain this knowledge of your true personality, that you are Atman, that God principle, slowly your desires start reducing because you're filling that void little by little. Your desires start reducing. You don't get the same satisfaction when you fulfill a desire. Become happy with the knowledge of the self instead. When you get to a certain stage, all you want is the knowledge because with that, it brings you the happiness and no other desire will bring that same happiness. It doesn't matter what it is. When you reach that state, that stage, you understand. Because it's filling that void, that gap within. See, that's why when you read about the lives of self-realized people, they have nothing, no possessions. Why? Because they know it's not going to make them happy. It's not going to fill the void. They understand that. They're so happy even though they have no possessions. They're wandering around as if they are lost. We cannot relate to them. We think they're crazy. One pair of clothes they have. All they have is a water bottle and something to beg for food. We think, what's wrong with these people? Why don't they get a job? They understand this Maya, they've gone past that stage. That's why this knowledge is very important because it, it will bring you the one thing you're looking for, which is happiness. Anything else in the world will not bring you that happiness, will not fill that void. Everyone understand that? That's quite an important uh, paragraph, actually, because if you understand that, you don't need to know anything else. You can get off here now and uh, carry your life. 
Any questions on that? Can everyone hear me? Yes. yes. Did everyone understand that uh, paragraph? Any clarifications on that paragraph? So no matter what we do in the world, we won't fill that void. That's why this knowledge is important. Desire is thought flow. When one continues to feed it, the flow thickens. The thicker stream of thoughts develops into greed. Avarice known as lava. If, however, the flow is interrupted, intercepted by an object or being, the thoughts get deflected. The deflected thought current is called anger, wilder. Consider, for example, Tom loves Elizabeth. Tom's thoughts run towards Elizabeth. Another suitor, John, also loves her. John's courting intercepts Tom's thought flow. Tom develops anger towards John. Anger, therefore, is a modification of desire. There can be no longer, there can be no anger unless there is an underlying desire. Hence, to overcome anger, we need to locate the desire and eliminate it. So, we said desire is a thought flow towards an object or person. If you analyze any desire, it's either to a person or an object. The more you think about that object or person, the stronger the thought flow. And if the flow of thought is interrupted, it becomes anger. So the more you think about an object or being, the thought flow becomes stronger and stronger until it becomes a desire, and then you have to fulfill it. And unless you fulfill it, it agitates you. The only way to overcome it is the intellect analyzing it, but we'll come into that in a minute. So the stronger the thought flow to an object or being, the stronger the desire. So what happens is that if that thought flow is interrupted, then it becomes anger. Example, you have a desire for an object, let's say a new phone. Could be anything really. The more you read about it, the more you look at it on the web, read the reviews, the stronger the desire becomes. You want to buy it. Someone says, your partner says, what's wrong with your old phone? It's still working fine. You'll get angry. What do you know? It's too old now. I need a new one. You keep thinking about the object until you buy and possess it. Then what happens? You possessed it. The agitation stops, you get some satisfaction, some happiness. Then what happens? Another desire for something else takes over. This is how it is. So desires can modify into anger, greed. When someone is angry, if you analyze, it is because 
that desire has not been fulfilled. Could be anything. Your partner has not done what you asked of them. The children have kept their room untidy. The kitchen is dirty. Or your partner didn't take you out. Or the food wasn't tasty. Whenever you are angry, it is due to an unfulfilled desire. So if you want to get rid of the anger, what do you have to do? Get rid of the desire. Locate the desire, get rid of it, and get rid of the anger. Any questions? So now, next time you're angry, you know what's, what's causing that anger. But the problem is when you're angry, you can't analyze. That's the problem, it's too late. That goes back to um, thinking before you before you, you know, do the action or that. So take That's a step right. back and analyze. That's right. But the emotion takes over, you see. You, can't, you don't have any control over it. This is the problem. This is where the mind takes over your personality. And the internet is not available to you. Now, the stronger the desire, the more difficult it is to control it. That's why they say, when the thought pops up, analyze it there and then. Before you give, you, you give it more fuel, it becomes stronger and stronger, then you can't control it. As soon as the thought pops up, if you're in a position to analyze it there and then, you can control it better. Once it's anger, it's too late. You have no control over it. It's past that stage of control. Any questions? So, anger, greed, avarice, they're all modifications of a desire. The foundation of all these emotions are des is desire. You rid of the desire, you get rid of all, the, all those um, emotions. You're in control of your own personality then. Next one. To control and reduce your desires, you must examine your thought flow. When a thought flow alights on an object or being, let your intellect observe it at the very beginning. Scrutinize it, accept or reject it with discretion. If you follow this procedure, there can be no indiscriminate thought flow, no desire formation. Your intellect, therefore, must be well developed and alert to avoid such indiscriminate flow of thoughts. If, however, the intellect is weak, you develop desire, greed. And since the world cannot always cater to your desires, you become angry at the obstacles you face. As desire, greed, and anger well up, you would get into disillusion, delusion, moha. Your emotions mounting up to this stage develop into arrogance mother, and those below your level of achievement and envy must, must at those 
above your level. And when you manage to maintain a level of success in your achievement in the world, you attain fear. You are afraid of losing what you have gained. Thus, a host of emotions invade your personality. They lead you to breathe misery, perhaps to your ultimate destruction if left unattended. While desire remains the cause of this confusion and chaos. So this is why you need to develop your intellect. So that whenever desire pops up or thought flow pops up, as we just mentioned, you can evaluate each thought flow. Then you can either fulfill it or reject it. This way your desires are kept under control and they don't take control of you. See, you, see how would you do it practically? How, would you, how can you do it practically? How can you? How can, a thought flow comes up. You go past the shop, a thought flow comes up. Oh, I like that suit, that dress. Less attachment. Someone's echoing. Who's it? Hello? Can anyone? Anyone? Anyone have? Less attachment. Less attachment. Okay. But the, you, when you go out, thoughts just come up at any time. You so evaluate you between want and need. Wants and need, okay. You see, that's the intellect. Yeah. That, that can analyze what you need and what you don't. But the mind just says, I like that. I like that. wonder how that would look on me. There's no way of controlling that. So you have to be in a situation where the, the intellect, that thinking is, comes into play and you think, okay, my mind has just come up with a desire. Do I need that? Have I ever already got that? You may say, no, actually I need that. It's something I've been looking for. Go and buy it. Actually, I've got five already. I don't need another one. That's the intellect coming into play. If you're in a position to do, to do that, every time a thought flow comes up, then you're in full control of all your desires. But what happens is that when you have a strong, if your mind is more into, you know, some people collect watches, some people collect uh, suits, whatever, jewelry, whatever it may be, the more you're prone to that, the, 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 the more difficult it is to control that desire. But this is where developing the intellect comes in. As you develop it, the more it's available to you, and more you'll be able to control those thought flows, which then turn into desires. It's easier to eliminate it as a thought because as, you're, as, you're, as the flow of thoughts increase, the desire becomes stronger, then it's very difficult to control, in certain areas especially. So you wanna be in a position where you're able to deal with it at the, at the state, stage of when it's just a thought. 
just take a minute to analyze. We're not saying every time you see something you like, you start uh, sitting, sit down and start thinking about it. You just think, you know, quick. Do I need that? No, I don't. Okay, fine. Understand, my mind is doing this. Yeah, does everyone get that? Desires besides developing into their modification also multiply in numbers like bacteria. They plague the mind with agitation and sorrow. All through life, the human mind moves from one desire to another, trying to find fulfillment. No sooner a desire is satisfied, many others spring forth. Thus, you become bound, burdened with innumerable desires. You will have therefore to you will have therefore to use the intellect constantly to check controlling. You achieve this by pitching up an ideal in life. An ideal is a cause, a goal beyond your self-centered, selfish interest in the world. If your motive is merely to cater to the welfare of yourself and your immediate family, you breed more desires. But when you entertain an ideal in life, your desire is directed to the higher. Then the desires are for the lower wane. Thus raise the ideal gradually, as illustrated from oneself to family, to community, to humanity, to all beings, to the world at large. Thank you. So how do you get eliminate your desires? Have a higher ideal, it says. What's a higher ideal? Something beyond your own selfish, self-centered interest. So thinking about helping others rather than yourself. See, most, most people, the most selfish people only cater to themselves. Then you may expand that to the family. So what they're saying is exp keep expanding that. Don't just stop at the family. Expand that to the community, if you can, to, the hum to all humanity, to all beings. So it's nothing but becoming more unselfish. Can, it, has everyone, can everyone see that diagram? Has it, people got the books open? Can they see the diagram? Expand your circle of identification. As you expand, your, you identify with a larger group. Ultimately, you want to serve all humanity. Have a higher ideal. So what happens is that when you pitch up higher desires, see this is also a desire to help community, help humanity, help all beings is still a desire, but it's no longer a selfish desire. What happens is the lower desires fall away. You stop thinking of yourself. You start thinking of others. And when you're thinking of others, you're no longer thinking of yourself. So your desires start falling away. It's the effect. 
When you're thinking of others, you're no longer thinking of yourself. So the lower selfish desires fall away. So in other words, you're shifting the focus from yourself to others. So the desires take a different direction. No longer just catering to you, but a wider group. This is how you eliminate desires, by the way. Does the quality of desire become secular? The quality of desire? The quantity. The quantity of desire diminishes. The ultimate mission of life is to realize the self. When all desires dissolve into the supreme self, The unrelenting law of nature is that you get what you deserve, not what you desire. Practice this law in life. Deserve, never desire. Rise above desire, the object of the world, seek you. Whereas you start desiring, craving for anything, the objects of your desire elude you. The Holy Bible states, seek and it shall be given to you. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. That is the law. It is a great message to humanity. Seek the kingdom of God. Seek the self within. Everything seeks you. So the result of pitching up higher desires beyond yourself is that desires become more subtle. And as they become more subtle, they reduce in numbers. The quantity decreases. Until there is only one desire left to realize the self. Remember, the more selfish you are, the more agitated, disturbed you are. Does everyone understand that? As you grow, as your desires expand beyond yourself, that the desires reduce. Does everyone understand that concept? Bella, you understand? Yes. This is what you need to do to reduce your desires. So karma, for example, is helping others. No. So that's why karma is one of the yogas, three yogas, knowledge, devotion, and service. Service means serving others. So they, they help you reduce your desires. That's why this is saying, as you expand your circle of identification, you're no longer thinking. It becomes karma. And the more selfish you are, the more agitated you are. And then the next paragraph, it says, seek the higher and the universe helps you to get it. You will get what you deserve, not what you desire. Why? Because as we said, the law of karma, cause and effect, you reap what you sow. You may desire anything, but what action have you put in the past? What was the cause?
Esther in gold drives home this message from this beautiful, beautiful poem, The Olive Tree. Two hermits planted saplings to grow olives. They needed olive oil for their prayer. One of them took charge of the plant, prayed to God for rain, for sunshine and for frost. God granted them all, yet his plant eventually perished, while the other hermit left the plant to God's care. Asked for nothing, it grew well and yielded abundant olives. So it is with life. Everything in this vast universe works meticulously by some mysterious power. Human intellect cannot conceive it. How the infinite beings and things orchestrate into the melody of existence. One one ought not to disturb this harmony by one's personal egocentric preferences. If you choose to assert your ego, then that unknown power seems to hand over the reins of control to you. You then lose its grace, whereas you surrender your ego to that unknown scheme of nature, you would receive its sovereignty. So it's a simple poem, but it can help you all your life. I'm going to read the poem now. The Olive Tree. Said an ancient hermit, bending half in prayer upon his knee. Oil I need for midnight watching, I desire an olive tree. He took a tender sapling, planted it before his cave. Spread his trembling hands above it, as his venison he gave. But he thought the rain it needed, that the root may drink and swell. God, I pray, descend thy showers, so a gentle shower fell. Lord, I ask for beams of summer, cherishing this little child. Then the dripping clouds divided, and the sun looked down and smiled. Send it frost to embrace, to brace its tissues, Oh my God, the hermit cried. Send it frost to brace its tissues. Oh my God, the hermit cried. Then the plant was bright and hoary, but that even song, it died. When the hermit to a brother sitting in his rocky cell, thou an olive tree possessed, how is this my brother tell? I have planted one and prayed now for sunshine, now for rain. God have granted each petition, yet my olive tree have slain. Said the other, I entrusted it, I entrusted to its God, my little tree. He who made knew what it needed, better than a man like me. Laid I on him no conditions, fix no ways and means. So I wonder not my olive thriveth, whilst thy olive tree did die. So whatever we leave to God, God does and blesses us. The work we choose should be our own, God leaves alone. So it's a simple poem. Did everyone, did everyone understand the poem? Mm -hmm. Did everyone understand the poem? Yes. Not clearly. Clearly or not clearly? Not clearly. I didn't understand that much. Okay. So what, what it is, there's two hermits living in a cave 
they needed oil to light their candles in the night so they can read. So they asked for an olive tree. They bought the sapling, little plant, and planted it. So one of the hermits decided he knows what the olive tree needs. So he asked God, prayed to God, give it rain. God gave rain. Give it sunshine. Give it frost. So God listened to all his prayers and gave him everything he needed. But the olive tree died. Then he went next door to, another, to the other hermit who also had an olive tree. And his is growing fine. So he asked, how come your olive tree is okay and mine is dead? I gave it everything it needed, but it still died. So the other hermit said, I just left it and it just grew on its own. The person who made the olive tree knows what it needs best. God created it. God knows what it needs best. Why should I interfere? Does that make sense? Bella? Is that more clearer now? Hello? Yes. Is that, does that make sense now? Yes, thank you. So it's a simple poem, but it can help you all your life. Because what we do. We go into church, mosque, temple, and we ask God for everything. Bigger business, partner, child, health, everything we ask for. But we don't know what we need. It's saying God created us, God knows what we need. Our business is to do what we have to do and leave the rest to the higher power. Don't have expectations or an ego. You are what you are. Just do your karma, play your role in life the best way you can. We don't know the bigger scheme of things. Don't keep saying, why this happened to me? Remember, what happens to you, good or bad, we deserve it. It's the effect of our cause. Any questions? See, the whole world, so many powerful countries, and suddenly something so small is devastating the whole universe. The whole world. What control? We don't know when things can things like this can happen. We think we're in control. The richest nations has no control over the smallest thing. Something you can't even see, devastating the whole world. <coughs> what do we know? We think we're in control, but we're not. This should teach us this lesson. 
The self within is supreme, it is divine. You are the supreme self. The divinity in you is presently obscured by desires. Cast away, eradicate all your desires. You reign divinity. Human beings minus desire equals God. In the process of eliminating desires, you must ensure they do not reappear in another form. Desires cling to you. You may feel secure of having erased a desire, but it finds its way back in some other layer of your personality. Thus, you may have got rid of your passion for material wealth, only to slip into a passion for name or fame in the world. You develop a hundred copper coins to pick up a silver coin that will not bring you any nearer to godhood. You unveil your divinity only when you have clean dropped all your desires, banished your selfish ego. You cannot do this, do it in halves. You must give up the last grain of desire. There is no other way to it. That is the price to you pay for regaining your divinity. In all religions, Desires has been described as a barrier between you and God. It's got many different names in different religions. So this is a path you need to follow. Desires take so many different roles. You know, you, you're saying you give up the uh, desire for money, but something else will take its place. You drop, you give up a hundred copper coins and pick up a silver coin. You're in the same you're in the same place. For example, I was uh, um, watching a documentary on uh, Bill Gates. He was the richest man in the world. More rich would not make him any happier. Now he has is doing charity. He's very commendable, but now he wants to save all the children in the world in the poverty countries, which is a very good thing to do but the desire just has changed this is what we're saying from one thing to another it's still a desire this is what we're saying it may be more subtle more higher but it's still a desire so this is what happens we're just evaluating so we need to eliminate desires so this is the path we need to follow read the scriptures we read the life of self-realized souls who have laid down the way of how to get to our goal. We, have, we must follow this path, reduce our desires, reach the state of moksha, liberation, self-realization. This is our goal in life, nothing else. That's the end of the chapter and end of class. Any questions? Because there's not many questions, the class is finished quicker. You gave the example of Bill Gates. Yeah. What was that drawing mm -hmm. and where Sonic is pitching up? Oh, yeah. 
a higher ideal. Yeah. It's saying to go, you know, to help you to do this, to go beyond your self-centered, selfish interest. Mm -hmm. So Bill Gates identifying with all the children. Yeah. Is way beyond his self-centered, self-centered interest. I agree. Did everyone understand the questions at last? That Bill Gates is increasing his circle of identification, as we said in that circle, where he's, it's no longer a selfish desire, it's become an unselfish desire. He wants to help humanity. So then she's saying, how come that is still, you know, what, what do we mean he's becoming more unselfish? We're not disagreeing with that. We agree he is becoming more unselfish and he's helping others. And therefore, he's no longer thinking of his own desires. Um, and it's a commendable thing to do. But we're evaluating the fact that desires take different forms. And the goal is actually to eliminate it. So even though he's identifying with all the poor children, sick children in the world, is his goal to reach that state of moksha, of eliminating all his desires? This is our goal. This is what we're saying. If it is, then it's fine. But otherwise, the desire has just transformed into something else. Wanting something else. Any questions? <laughs>